Tonight's another challenge. I, I think I've spent 15 to 20 hours getting ready for tonight uh, again, and I'd already taught it before in some form, so I really try to study until I can't study anymore. But it's a challenging topic, and it might spin your thoughts a little bit. My challenge to you, as Dr. Myron Houghton used to say in the class years ago at Faith Baptist Bible College, is that I'm not so concerned that you agree with me as that you understand my reasoning, right? That's what he would say. Um, but we're going to go through what is I call replacing Judas. Is it a mandated assignment or a misplaced effort? So there's two options here. One is it's something they're supposed to do or something... They weren't supposed to do. Okay? With me so far? I told you to bring extra rotten fruit this week, so I gave you a heads up. But we're looking at the uh, coverage here. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. All right? Now, this is the traditional approach first, and most of this is in your notes. I think I combined these to four lines so I could fit more stuff on your sheet here. But here's kind of what it is, right? Peter stands up, you know, after so many days. Jesus had just ascended into heaven. Ten days later, Pentecost, so it's sometime within that time frame. Peter stands up after they'd been praying. It doesn't say it was a result of prayer, but some people would say that. And that's okay. He says, basically, Judas is dead. And he gives details, right? He, his, he tries to hang himself, and he failed miserably at that. And it actually describes a little bit of his splatting at the bottom of the, the ravine or whatever he tried to hang himself over. Then Peter goes on to say, Scripture says we're supposed to find a replacement. You with me so far? This sounds familiar, right? Are you with me? Okay. And Peter will say, let's do it. Since Scripture says it, let's do it. Here are some qualifications of an apostle. We're going to talk about apostleship probably next week, should we have apostles or not. Here are two men that fit the qualifications. Let's vote on it. Let's use lots to choose between them. We're going to maybe look at pictures of lots. Um, maybe one of these sessions. And then, the lot fell on Matthias, Acts says, and they were done. He was counted, numbered among the apostles. So, so far so good? All right. And then... I'll give you at least a few arguments why that's a good argument to follow that line of logic here. Peter used scripture as his motivation. He actually quotes two passages of scripture, which we will look at, because we're thorough. We study the Bible in detail, right? That's what we do as believers. And he also referred to another one. Whoops. I'm dangerous with technology. I've only worked with it for over 30 years, but I can't run things. These men were apostles. So, hey, we got the title. We got the position. 
We're the professionals. We can do this. Look at our label on our name tag, right? Matthias was numbered with the 12. It says that at the end of Acts 1. And there's no condemnation of this action anywhere indicated, right? So they, you didn't hear, you don't see anything that says that's bad. They did something wrong. So there's four positive arguments for that. So Peter saw it as a mandate, something they had to do. And then they did it. Okay, pretty simple there. All right, let's keep going here. We want to look at considerations and observations. And again, my goal is to get you to think. If you agree with me, I'll give you another cookie. No. <laughs> you can have another cookie anyway until they're gone. But uh, if you don't agree with me, that's okay too. But I want you to understand that there's another viewpoint that I happen to hold. And I think there's some reasons to think that way. Okay, it's missed guided, what did I say, misdirected step or something, okay? What we want to, when we study the Bible, we want to say, what do we see? What is there? There's three steps to studying the Bible. Observation, interpretation, application. Observation is what is there. Most people skip to interpretation without looking to see what is there or oftentimes what is not there. My son Sammy told me the other day, or maybe it was Joseph, Dad, did you know Curious George doesn't have a tail? Curious George is a, a re book, you know, when you're a kid. And he, he's never shown with a tail. And I'm like, I always saw him with a tail. I didn't observe well enough, right? We sometimes place things that don't belong. We read into passages when we haven't thought about them. We jump to it. And a lot of times it's just what we hear over and over. And we repeat over and over. Okay, so that's just what happens. So I want to start out, and again, this works down your notes. There's probably just a little extra in here than there is in your notes. But otherwise, you pretty much have the same. So you can scribble all you want, cross stuff out, turn it into a paper airplane and throw it at me if it gets to that much violence or whatever, right? But anyway, we want to first place this in the timeline. The chronology is important, especially when you're going to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John into Acts. Acts follows. All right? I want to read the last part of Luke 24 here. I really do. There we go. And if that's too small, I'll read it to you, okay? I just wanted to squeeze it all on one page. And this is Luke 24, 46 to 53. It says this, Then he, Jesus, said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. What does that sound like to you? Great commission. I think I told you there's at least five great commissions, right? This happens to be one of them. Luke 24. Verse 49 now. Behold, I send 
the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. A little different language, but it sounds just like what? Acts chapter 1, right? Before Pentecost, but you, you're going in the right direction. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. So it's kind of crushing or crunching together Acts chapter 1 really tight. All right, this is Luke again. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried them up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. All right? Now, there's nothing profound to show you here. I just want to show you the overlap. And by the way, who wrote Acts? Luke. So he starts volume two of his history of the, of the gospel in the early church. And he gives more information. But there's overlap. It's still the same time frame. Jesus rises again. How long is he on earth for? Forty days. Right? After he ascends into heaven, how long, and I've already said, told you once, how long before Pentecost happens? Ten days. That's why it's Pentecost and 50 and right, all that. So, so anyway, I just want you to know it's the same time frame. It just, it, it overlaps. Luke 24 overlaps with Acts 1. That's my only point right here. So there's no need to ooh or ah because it's not that kind of a point. All right? But hear this now. What I want to point out, and this is key to understanding what is going on in the book of Acts, the point of empowerment. Jesus said this both in Luke and he said it in Acts. This is Luke again. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are what? Yeah, endued with power from on high. Right? So far so good? Right? What does tarry mean? Wait. Wait. Okay. No surprise there. This is John 16. It only says it from a Holy Spirit standpoint, but nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if you do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Okay, kind of an overlapping idea. And then this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. By the way, when is that? Acts chapter 1. Has it happened yet? Watch this. Magic. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God. By the way, this is Peter preaching on Pentecost. And having received from the Father the promise... Of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. When? Acts 2. Again, not profound. We're just what? Observing. But that's the point of empowerment. Acts 1, before. 
Acts 2 is when it happens and after, right? So far, so good? Nothing profound? No heresy yet? But wait, there's more. <laughs> Chronology again. The apostles' present state. This is a big part of it too. You have to understand that these are the same apostles that Jesus has been training. He chose to be with the him for this three-year period. And all this time, they haven't given any indication that they've gotten it. I wonder if they were teenagers. <laughs> Another conversation, right? My teenager is pretty cool. Um, but here it is here. The apostles were making bad choices. We'll show you John 21, 3 in a second here. 21. John 21. Is that before or after the resurrection? That's the last chapter in the book of John, by the way. Say after. Okay. And even having been told multiple times of their assigned mission. Remember Matthew 28? Who are they and why do they matter? Who are them and why do they matter? That was up in Galilee, right? They've been told more than once, what is my job? Here's my job description. And we're still misunderstanding the scriptures up to the time of Jesus' ascension. They still didn't get it. Oh, you need proof, you say. John 21, 1 through 3. After these things, Jesus showed himself. What's the word? Again. So it's multiple times, right? To the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. Okay. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon, Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, now this is a, this is you and me on a bad day. They've seen the resurrected Savior multiple times, including before they left Jerusalem. And Peter's response within the 40-day period prior to the ascension is what? <laughs> I'm going back to what I did before Jesus called me. At least I can't deny fish, right? Right? They said to him, we are going with you also. So it wasn't just Peter. It was the crew, at least some of them, right? This gang of, what, seven, I think. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught Nothing. I wonder who's controlling the fish, right? Object lesson, big time. Here's another one here. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Jesus is telling him over and over. He's told him, you're going to be witnesses. Go into all the world and make disciples, right? Baptize him, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And here's the question they have right before the ascension. Lord? Will you at this time restore the king to Israel? See, if it was me, I said, give me those cookies back. <laughs> three, and a, three and a half years. I can imagine some of the college professors are like that, right? 
I'm taking some seminary classes. It's a little more difficult, but still challenging. He says to them, and he doesn't reprimand them. He just says, it's none of your business. I've already given you your business. And he repeats it again in verse 8. He says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has put in his own authority. That's the state of the apostles. Do they know what's going on? Do they comprehend Scripture? I would suggest they do not up to this point because it's Acts chapter 1, not Acts chapter... Okay, you following me on that? Now, let's focus in on one that gets picked on a lot. How about Peter's pattern up to this point? Now, it could say Kevin here. And it would probably be about as accurate. Okay, so I'm not picking on Peter. I'm observing Peter. Right? Now, I just throw all of these up here at once. I did a study of all of the instances of Peter. Just so I could see Peter's pattern. Boom. Now, there's probably more that you can add. I kind of filtered out some that were like, ah, he spoke up in class, but it wasn't wrong. So here they are. By the way, 9 through 13 are after the resurrection. Walking on the water. Now, he, he, he's um, impulsive, right? He jumps out. No one else jumps out. So credit, kudos to you, and then he sinks because he doesn't have faith, right? There's just volatility there. He just, he's not sure what he wants and does all that. And again, I could be that person. I probably wouldn't even have got out of the boat, right? So kudos to Peter. Remember, he just, uh, who do you say that I am? And you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And two verses later, it's like, get behind me, Satan. Same guy. You know, bing, boom, ricochet, I suppose you could call them. The Mount of Transfiguration, you remember what happened there? For all three of them, as if they're equal. Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. Look at it, it's a perfect trio. And it says, I think in John, I didn't put the parallel passage, he didn't understand what he was saying. Now we do. Hindsight, right? But it's like John points it out just to make sure he didn't get it. He doesn't get it. And he just saw the glorified Christ. Peter and Jesus, oh, Peter promises faithfulness to the end. Everyone else will deny you, but I won't deny you. <laughs> I'll give you 24 hours. Not even that. What was six, eight hours later? At least by morning. The cock crew, right? Peter and Jesus washing of his feet. The night of Jesus' crucifixion. You're not washing my feet. Right? Remember that? He told the creator of the world, the son of God, what to do or not do. And then Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you're none, you, you have none of mine. And he goes, well, then wash me all over. Right? It's a bing, bing. And again, I'm just thankful God has not put me in the Bible. Because <laughs> I'm not picking on him. I'm just showing you Peter up to this point, right? It's, it's for a point here. 
How about Judas comes, kisses Jesus, and Peter cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. Missed. But he did it, right? And Jesus said, put, the, put, the, put that away. Remember, Peter was not going to let Jesus go to the cross. Get thee behind me, Satan, right? Kind of thing. Peter follows Jesus at a distance. Now we could say he followed him. That's better than what? Nine other apostles. John was actually closer in than Peter was. John's the one that actually led him into the courtyard because John knew people. But he follows at a distance. Then he denies Jesus three times, even in front of a little girl. And again, I could see myself there. Right? I'm not blaming him. I'm just observing. Now, starting at number nine, he goes to the tomb. Remember, John beats him there. What's Peter do? John peers in and Peter rushes right in. And then they go in. He's not there. And they go home. They said the Bible says they go to their homes, their own homes. Resurrection was kind of baffling to him. Peter goes fishing. We just read that one. Peter jumps into the sea when Jesus said, Hey, children, have you caught any fish? Try throwing it on the other side. They throw it in and they go, it's Jesus. So he just jumps out. Right? Just that impulsive thing. Peter jumps into the sea. That's what he's doing. Peter's timidity. Peter, do you love me? And I, I'm more of the persuasion that the Greek means something. Some people say it's, you know, it's originally Aramaic and it doesn't, but there's differences in what he says. But do you love me? And Peter goes, I like you. Peter, do you love me? I like you. Peter, do you even like me? I'm not sure. You know, and I'm looking back. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, my resume is horrible for that loving thing. And then Peter's nosiness. He goes on, Jesus goes on to tell him at the end of John chapter 21, the end of the book, and he says, you, you will give your life for me. So Peter goes, what? about this guy <laughs> about John <laughs> and once again none of your business chronology up to this point hang with me here I've made no real points we're just making observations right? now this is probably my biggest argument but I'm still not done so hold your fruit handy Jesus' instructions. I got two things to say here. What did Jesus command the apostles to do? Tarry in Jerusalem. Tarry in Jerusalem is what Luke 24 says. Here's Acts chapter 1, which is an overlapping uh, narrative, right? That is talking about the same time, same place. Not to depart in what? You have two jobs. Don't leave Jerusalem and wait until, Luke says, until you're endued with power from on high. Because you aren't ready yet. Because you need that power. Acts goes on to say you'll receive power 
when or after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you can go, instead of not depart, and do. Fair? I think the next question is probably equally important. <laughs> Did Jesus forget to say something here? Hey, I'm going to, there's going to be like a 10 day gap. I got a list for you to do. What could Jesus have told them? Why don't you hold a selection and replace Judas? What were they told? Not to leave Jerusalem and what? Just wait. You ever been told to wait? That's like being told not to have a cookie when it's sitting right in front of you. Right? Jesus did not command them that. He specifically told them two things. Don't depart and wait. Wait generally means don't do anything. You know, they prayed. They went to the temple daily, the Bible says in Luke. But wait. The idea is don't act yet because you need power. One more idea here. And this, I call it, this you got to stop and think about too. What did Jesus not do? Let's back up one. Who picked all of the apostles up to this point? Okay. What did Jesus himself not do after his resurrection during the 40 days before he ascended? How long did he have? 40 days. You think maybe if he wanted to appoint someone to replace Judas, he was probably the most qualified to do so. With me? He had time to do it. He was aware that Judas was no longer among them. I mean, he's the one that got kissed on the cheek. So far, so good? That's Jesus. We got more now. Peter. His words and actions reviewed. Now, what I did is when I went back and studied the contexts of the passages he quoted. I have a concern with the context of the scriptures Peter quoted. Now again, I'm not anti-Peter. I'm observing, and you have to decide, is Peter getting it right or wrong? Now, when did this happen? Before Pentecost or after? And I would say, if it happened after Pentecost, I would not be teaching this lesson. But Peter is still the same Peter that within the last 40 days, he went home, he went fishing. And he couldn't tell Jesus, I'm all in. 
still. Okay, same dude, same guy. The first passage that he references, it's an indirect reference, Acts 1.16. Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So Psalm 41.9, it's a... It appears to be a prophecy, right? Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. I put, okay, that sounds good. No objections from me. How about you? Anything? So, so far, so good? How about this one? Peter directly quotes from this passage. Psalm 69, and the quotation is down here. See that yellow thing here? I'm going to read you the context. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my... What's it say? Enemies, plural. And you know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries, plural, are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. What's the next word? Okay. Also gave me gall for my food, and my, for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. That sounds like who? The soldiers that gave Jesus the drink, right? Let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap and let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and make their loins shake continually pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them let their dwelling place be desolate let no one live in their tents so i put down here well what can you say so far What's the application? I mean, what's the observation? Who is it talking about in number alone? It's not singular, it's plural, all the way through. All right? All the way through. Let their dwelling place be desolate. Peter says, let his. Let no one live in his tent. Peter quotes it singularly. Now, he's trying to apply it. I think it's probably misapplied. It's a, maybe a general application here, but it's anything talking about the soldiers, not, not Judas directly, okay? And we'll talk about the dwelling place in it, but it's plural in the Psalms. So just to throw that out there. It, it appears to me as if Peter is trying to make something fit that doesn't belong. And is that possible? Can a believer do that? Even the devil uses the Bible. Right? Wrong. Here's the quoted uh, verse 8 there. You see that? Psalm 109. And that's quoted verbatim again. Part of it. 
They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Thus they have rewarded me for evil rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few and let another take his office. So far, so good, I guess. But if I read the very next verse, I, I read that verse 8, I'm like, well, that could be him. But read the next verse. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. The only apostle that I know of that was married at this time was Peter. No mention of children at all. All right, I'm just going to stop there, but it talks about his posterity, fatherless children, and all that. So I'm like, there's all kinds of questions that I have out of that context, right? You have to study the context. When we get to Joel 2 and Acts 2, context makes all the difference. And I believe you'll agree with me there, too. But we'll see. Now this is the context, now it's the application. Where is the direct responsibility for application coming from? For Peter. He's trying to say that it's the scriptures, but it's kind of, he's trying to be the leader and do this thing. He, he is trying to be the leader, which is noble, except he was told to wait until he was endued with power from on high. How about this? There's no claim of direct communication from God at this point. So he can't say, well, God told me this. And I don't believe we can say that today in the same way that they would say it. God told me this because Scripture says this is how I would only say that. Why not apply the verses regarding his dwelling? It says, let his house be empty. Well, if you think the one is important to reinforce, why don't go move his house out, right? Empty his house, tear his house down. But he didn't take responsibility for that one, right? He quotes it. Here's another one that I wrestle with. Here are Peter's parameters for choosing a replacement for Judas. Again, line by line, we'll go... Quickly, therefore, of these men, by the way, the word is on air, we get Andrew from it, it's adult males only. So that's really a hidden qualification that you probably you know, may, may not see right off. Who of these men, he's saying, who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, they've been with us the whole time, <coughs> beginning from the baptism of John, there's the starting point, and to the day when he was taken up from us, the ascension, which happened to be just a few days ago, right? One of these, so you can only pick one out of how many ever men, must become a witness. So this is really not a qualification. It's a purpose, but it would probably imply that, you know, that we've been witnesses of the resurrection. Here's the parameters. Where did these requirements, or this requirement, it depends on how you look at it, one that basically it's a chronological thing where they've been with us the whole time. 
That's the one requirement. Where did it come from? It was not used for the first apostles because Jesus chose guys out of a boat and out of a tax collector office or whatever, right? So it doesn't fit that. On what basis did Peter create these qualifications? And if I can steal a little bit of my thunder, he hasn't been endued with power from on high yet. He's not empowered. He's not enabled. What is missing? This is another one too. Okay, we just had deacon elections. Were you here? I voted. I should have got a voting sticker. But... <laughs> I voted. What's the qualifications of a deacon, for instance, for example, compared to this? It, well, if it was Peter, he'd say, well, as long as you've been here ever since the church has been here. He's looking at only one thing, and that's what? Chronology. You've been here. Is there any indication of anything else? Because like five chapters later, he has a completely different list. Choose out from among you seven men, not that have been here, What's the qualification? They're full of what? The Holy Spirit and... Well, there's some qualifications I can get on board with. It's not how long you've been here. It's how do you walk with God? And every list of qualifications is like that that you find in the Bible, not how long have they been here. With me? It's a wonky requirement. I put it down here. Compare the qualifications of the deacons in Acts 6 to Peter's in Acts 1. The latter, in Acts 1 here, focuses on chronological experiences only. Of the person, in part because they needed to be witnesses, I guess, of the resurrection. And the former focuses on their what? Proving character. Choose out from among you seven men. How do you know they're full of the Holy Spirit? We see them every day. They're full of wisdom. How do you know that? Did they tell you? No, we've seen it in their lives. Right? It's behavioral. It's character. Acts 1 may assume character, having been with Jesus the entire time, but Judas was with him the entire time, up until right before the ascension. But it certainly doesn't highlight character at all, right? It doesn't make it. This is another question to think about here. Does appointing someone to any position whatsoever confer the needed ability, whether it's natural ability, thorough training, or supernatural? I'm going to ask Pastor Lance to appoint me the lead chef of Maranatha Baptist Church. Maybe he'll get me a t-shirt. And a name tag with lead chef. You know that, what the, that would get both of us? Jail time. <laughs> Me for what I cook and him for not doing his due diligence. Because I am not qualified and giving me a label does not make me qualified. And all God's soldiers said... <laughs> Does appointing someone guarantee or even dictate God's future enablement? 
in my mind, it's like, what audacity. I'm going to appoint Raleigh to be the chef. And I'm going to expect God to supernaturally give him the power to do it based upon my choice. We'll even vote on it. Me or Raleigh. Vote for Raleigh. <laughs> it doesn't guarantee it. It's almost like you're telling God what to do then. And who to do it to. You have to give Raleigh the ability to, to cook or whatever. You know, whatever appointment it is. I'll go be a dentist. Give me the label, the t-shirt. I'll even wear a schmock or some, whatever you want to call it. The lab coat. No qualification at all, does it? And it, it's like, God called me to do something. And it's like, oh, really? Maybe you should have him call me first. And I'll have a little talk with him. Because you're not a dentist. Right? Apostleship was not just the position. And Peter treated it that way. It required God-given authority and abilities. Right? It's not just, hey, why don't you take his place? You're a nice guy. And you've been around for a while. There's an anticipation and expectation that direct revelation, miracles, all of that would happen. You cannot, or you can appoint someone to a position, but you cannot appropriate the ability for that position by your appointment. Just because you call somebody something doesn't make them that something. Where are we at in here? I'm running out of time. Uh, anybody got any questions up to this point? We're still talking about Peter. But we're going to stop tonight because... I want you to eat my cookies. Questions? We're not done yet. You haven't heard my... I've told you most of it. But I'll finish up next week and then we'll go into are there apostles. Del, do you have your hand? Yeah. You made a great case for how we can have hope regardless of our current condition. Well, because Peter... <laughs> I only listed 13, there's more. But again, you don't want Kevin's list. Yeah. If I can steal just a little thunder for next week, can I encourage you a little more to show you how amazing the Holy Spirit is in our lives? Because Peter was a different man as soon as the Holy Spirit came. He was supernaturally empowered as an apostle, which I are not one, okay? He, the specific individuals, but at that point, he had direct revelation from God. He spoke in languages that he'd never studied. How nice would that have been, right? Even now, or what? I can't even speak English very well, and I've been working at it for 60 years, you know? So... But that idea, the Holy Spirit is profoundly amazing. Now, he doesn't give us the ability to heal or to speak in other languages without studying them, all those things. But he resides within us. And he allows us to understand things that we cannot have otherwise grasped. 
That's why the apostles could be with Jesus for three and a half years and be like, I don't get it. And you can sit here and you're like, you read the word of God and you're like, oh, I don't understand it all, but this is really good. Right? Because of the Holy Spirit. So that's part of the summary statement that we'll get into next week. So good. We want to encourage you ultimately. We're not trying to discourage you. We're trying to encourage you to observe and rightly divide the word. Right? Who else? Anyone else? People of faith who did similar to what, can you name a few? Abraham, have you ever heard of the Ishmaelites? Right, I'll just figure it out myself, things like that. But there's all the way through the scripture, yeah. And we are like that, we are like Peter, but we have the Holy Spirit, so we're not like Peter in that way. That doesn't mean we have excuses or don't have excuses because we still need to study the Bible. But I think we have a, we have a, a step ahead of Peter before Acts 2 because we can understand the Word of God. The Spirit illustrates and illuminates. Right? All right, let me pray and then I'll let you go. There are probably there are 25 cookies up here yet. So don't tell anyone, but uh, eat them up. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the attentiveness of our group tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, again, just evaluate and examine what the Word of God says and what it doesn't say. And Lord, we want to rightly divide the Word of truth. And ultimately, Lord, I believe you'll encourage us through that. Building our lives on the truth and even on how you use people like Peter ultimately uh, before Pentecost and after. Now, Lord, just bless us as we continue to study and desire to walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you.